All right. Well, it is good for us to be in worship together here this morning, uh, here in the West, in the East Auditorium, in Lovington, as well as with those of you worshiping online. Uh, In all those locations, I'd invite you to turn in a Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 16. And uh, as you track that passage down, uh, I would suspect that for nearly all of us, we have been in a setting, whether you've you know, grown up in church or you're new to church, uh, I would suspect that we've all been in settings where uh, those maybe you could say outside of the church uh, maybe didn't have a whole lot of good things to say about those inside the church. That It would seem that in our culture today that the church is becoming, you could say, increasingly unpopular. Uh, whether it's the media who, you know, loves to just eat up any kind of scandal that might come across the wire, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, an elder who's embezzling money or the, the very horrific realities of, you know, children being molested in some sort of setting like that, um, or, you know, what seems of late, some gigachurch pastor who's had uh, an extramarital affair. Um, and, you know, as we look at these black spots on the church, it's almost like, okay, well, I guess it's not really without cause that those outside of the church have some not so great things to say about those of us inside of the church. Um, Beyond that, we have the media, uh, whether through television programs or movies that um, it seems to me that every time there's a a Christian or a churchgoer portrayed in uh, a, a television program or something, in my mind, it's the same character every time, regardless of the show. Uh, it seems that more often than not, it's portrayed as some sort of closed-minded, fun-hating, ignorant, you know, Bible thumper that, frankly, by the end of the program, those of us who are Christians end up disliking the Christian in the show just as, you know, just as much as anyone else. And um, it's a perception, whether it's, you know, skewed, which in many ways, it obviously, we, we would hope that it is, it does serve as a a perception that is uh, unfortunately maybe a reality for the general public when it comes to uh, the impressions of those who are part of the church. Um, And so we see that outside of the church, but it's also those we could see inside the church who maybe are a little down on the church. Uh, Maybe it's the result of uh, maybe a bad experience where something didn't go well, um, you know, maybe some sort of disagreement uh, that it was a fallout, um, or unfortunately common enough, you know, just someone who was hurt by a person or uh, maybe a group of people within the life of a church. And it just leaves uh, even those who would otherwise maybe be a part of a church just kind of stepping back and almost, you know, you could say throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as the expression goes, and just concluding, you know what? The institutional church, I don't need it. You know, just give me Jesus. I I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with those who used to be a part of a church who just say, you know what? It's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. And uh, we even sing a song, you know, that says, you know, Jesus hasn't failed me yet. No, you're never going to let me down. But I've never heard anyone sing the song yet. The church hasn't failed me yet. No, the church isn't going to let me down. And why don't we sing that? Well, because we couldn't possibly sing that. Uh, Because the reality is, is it's somewhat true. The church is imperfect. The church, in fact, is designed to be made up of imperfect people. Imperfect me, imperfect you, imperfect together. Uh, In fact, um, be warned, uh, I've heard it said that uh, if you do, in fact, find the perfect church, don't go. You'll mess it up, right? You'll mess it up because... That's frankly really the way that Jesus designed it. He designed uh, a group of people to gather together in our imperfections for the good news that we are made perfect by his perfect sacrifice. 
Uh, Jesus said it this way in Luke 5, 31. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, uh, but illustratively he was saying, um, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so I can get how one could conclude, you know what? I think I'm just gonna forego that whole imperfect church thing and just stick with the perfect Jesus. I could see how someone could come to that conclusion. Uh, However, the only problem with that conclusion of, you know, it's just gonna be me and Jesus, I don't need the church, is that that's not actually the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. In fact, to conclude that I am a obeyer, I am a follower of Jesus, but to reject his church is really to disobey and to reject Jesus' way. Because Jesus came for his way on earth to be established in his church. In fact, in the New Testament, there would not even have been such a thing as a churchless Christian. It wouldn't even have made sense. It wouldn't have existed. In fact, as the New Testament paints uh, the portrait of what the church is to be, uh, it paints Jesus, it says, as the groom, and the church, it says in Ephesians 5 and other places as well, as his bride, who he sacrificed himself for, who he, who he gave himself up for. Um, and then one day, Revelation 21, it says that the groom, Jesus, will come back for his bride, back for his church. And so we could see that to say that we love Jesus, but then to somehow reject his bride, you could see where that would put us in a difficult spot with the groom, right? And so Jesus did in fact come to establish his church, which we're gonna look at here this morning. And we've been in this series uh, entitled Jesus Is, where we've been looking at the various names and attributes and roles of who this Jesus is in the season leading up to Easter. As uh, throughout church history, this has been a season uh, devoted uh, for people of the church to focus on their walk and their relationship with the Lord uh, in a little bit more intentional way maybe than you would in other seasons of the year. And so we're looking at who is this Jesus and what are the full implications of all the aspects of what that has to do with us. And today we see that Jesus is uh, the head of the church. Uh, In Philippians 4, it says that he is the full manifestation, the full dwelling of God. Uh, In Colossians 3, it says that he is the, uh, the visible, the visible of the otherwise invisible God who came and created the world and established his, established the world and holds the world together. And then with that, built his church. Colossians 1.17, Jesus is the head of his church. And so we're going to take a few minutes to look at Jesus' own words as to why this is, why he came to establish a church, why it's important to him, and if it's important to him, we as followers of him, then it should be important to us. And so he's going to paint that here in the first uh, mentioning of the church in Matthew chapter 16. This is where Jesus first brings up uh, the idea of his church. And so I'd invite you to follow with me starting in verse 13 of chapter 16 in the book of Matthew. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, referring to himself, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say 
that I am. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And from there, he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Uh, In other words, not yet. It wasn't time for him to be revealed as such, okay? And so as we read that passage right there in the middle, as it kind of comes together, we see in verse 18 that Jesus says, I will build my church. I will establish my church. And what's interesting about that statement in my studies is what precedes that statement, is that what we have here in the Gospel of Matthew is the very first time in the Bible that Jesus himself is established or proclaimed as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And why Peter didn't necessarily fully understand all the implications of that yet, Jesus does affirm his proclamation. Jesus says, Peter, This was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, not by mere mortals, but by my Father in heaven. And blessed are you for that. And so we have this opening kind of scene, this this turning point, this tipping point where Jesus is identified as the Son of God by Peter. And then what's the very next thing that Jesus has to say about that reality? Verse 18. Now, based on me as the foundation, Peter, go build my church. Build his church. And so we see clearly that Jesus came to establish his church. Now, in fairness, if we could somehow turn this into a dialogue between you know, me and many of you, uh, you might say, okay, but what really does Jesus mean by his church? Like, is this what Jesus had in mind? You know, this with the lights and the screens and people streaming on. I mean, is this, is this what Jesus had in mind when he referred to his church? I mean, Jesus himself, in fairness, he said in Matthew 18, 20, he said, where just two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them. In the book, The Gospel According to Starbucks, uh, the author suggests that the church for you might just be an informal group of people who gather at the coffee shop and you talk about Jesus. And you may find more authentic worship and fellowship in that group than you ever would in a formal church. Hmm. You know, and it's interesting, and it, you know, it's certainly true. We're gonna take God's word at his word that it says where two or three of us are gathered, he is certainly there with us. But what it does not say and what it does not represent is that in that setting do we see the full manifestation of the church. We do not see fully what Jesus had in mind for his church as represented in God's word in the New Testament. Um, in the New Testament, the word for the church, uh, in the original Greek is the word ekklesia. Uh, and that, that literally means the called out ones, uh, the ones called out from the world to be separate from the world, to live in the world, but not of it. They're gonna be of Jesus' church, of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And it's, uh, that word's used over 100 times in the New Testament, and 90 of those times, it's referring specifically to a local congregation. 
And what we see in those churches, in those ecclesias, is we see that there is structure, there's organization, there's leadership. It has elders established to oversee the church. It has teachers in place to edify the church. Uh, The gatherings that they held were consistent and regular enough that the Apostle Paul in his letters to these churches warned them about the dangers of not meeting with regularity together. Um, The church, it would have been uh, visible enough that if a member strayed, uh, they would have known that it was stepping away and they would have needed to reach out to that lost sheep. Uh, the church, uh, in, the, in the scriptures, it's clear enough that one, one suffered, it was able to suffer alongside of it. And we see also in the New Testament and frankly around the world that the church is visible enough that when the world wants to persecute it, they could identify who belonged to it because they were different. They were the called out ones. And so make no mistake, Jesus came to establish his church, his bride, which, let me remind you, um, let me remind me, is good news. You know, the church is not designed to be some sort of, you know, dogmatic duty. It's not this albatross around our neck that we have to be a part of. No, Jesus designed his church as a gift, It's a gift. It's a gift for you and for me that as we try to figure out what it means to follow after Jesus, we don't have to do that alone, that we can build some relationships with one another that encourages our ultimate relationship with the Lord. Uh, It is uh, the gift to the world, as Jesus says, that we are to be a light on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so the church is a gift. And it says, uh, or or Jesus says to Peter, I want to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven to, to unlock the kingdom of heaven for the earth that so desperately needs to hear it. And so that's what, that's what Jesus says. He says, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. And it has the power, it says, to bind or prohibit, is really what that means, on earth, what is prohibited in heaven, or to loose, other translations say to permit, to permit on earth what is permitted or loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying that these keys to the kingdom are the authority of heaven the authority of heaven to unlock his kingdom here on earth. That uh, the church is God's chosen vehicle as we pray on a regular basis here in the Lord's Prayer. It's his chosen vehicle for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That is what Jesus' church is designed for. That's what these keys to the kingdom are unlocking. And so as we look further in God's word as to, okay, what does the church opened the doors to? What do these keys unlock? What doors are we opening uh, in the church, for the church, and for the world? Well, we see throughout scripture that Jesus is unlocking and unleashing his church uh, for his purposes and his mission here on earth. His purpose and his mission here on earth. That's, that's what we're unlocking uh, with the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The first door you could say that they open is the door to evangelism. The door to evangelism. Evangelism is uh, the church's opportunity to invite others into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and invite them to be a part of Jesus' church. Uh, As we referenced a moment ago, we are, as a church, called to be the light of the world, that we are to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. It's our call to go and, you could say, show and tell about the kingdom. Uh, it's kind of like what we got to all do in, uh, in kindergarten. You remember show and tell? Yeah, it's, it's something that we all loved because it was our opportunity to tell the world 
well, relative five-year-old group of world that we had, uh, to tell the world that we knew of something we loved, you know, whether it was like a toy or a pet or a rock or whatever the case is, we got to show this thing that we loved and tell people why we loved it. That's what the church gets to do. We get to show and tell. We get to live and show and tell the difference, the transformation, the growth that has happened as a result of Jesus Christ in our lives to a world who does not yet know it. We have that opportunity to show and tell. That is, um, that is evangelism, showing the transformation that we've experienced to others who don't yet know it. And that transformation is really the result of another purpose that we have here on the church, in the church, and that is uh, through discipleship. Okay, the purpose of discipleship, that discipleship uh, is another word, you might use the word apprenticeship could be a synonym for that, that we are Jesus' disciples, his students, his apprentices, that we're trying to become like him, and he is building us up, he's building you up, he's building me up, he's building his church up to become uh, devoted followers of him. Um, and we say that a lot around here, that that's why we exist. We understand that we're here to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and that the means to that end as the church is as we grow and we serve and we do that together. That's our mission, that's our understanding. First Christian Church exists to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ by growing and serving together, um, which is not some you know, corporate statement. That is straight out of scripture. That is what God calls his church to be and to do. Uh, and there's a couple of anchor passages uh, that we lean into when it comes to that understanding that might be helpful uh, to us here today. One is, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, Ephesians chapter four gives us almost like this instruction manual of, okay, here's what it looks like to be the church. Uh, it says it this way. It says uh, that Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, essentially you could say the, the, the role of the leaders, it says to equip. Uh, so that's that's growing. We're, we're to be equipped. That's, that's what we call our Wednesday night class program. It's, it's all about being equipped. For what purpose? So his people, to equip his people for, it says, works of service. And so we are equipped, we grow together in order that we might serve together, serve one another and serve the world around us. So that it says that the body of Christ, that's another word for the church, the body of Christ, that we might be built up. And we do this, it says, until we all reach unity, okay, that's together, uh, in the faith and in the knowledge, that's growing, of the Son of God, and we become, it says, mature. That we would attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't know how much that is, but it sounds like a lot. <laughs> the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, or in other words, until we become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we exist. And I love that instruction, that, um, that encouragement, that teaching, that way in which we are supposed to be the church. Uh, but I also, I would say maybe beyond the instruction manual, I love the way in which we see that actually displayed uh, in the early church in the New Testament. Um, in the New Testament, you have uh, the, the books, the order is you start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are biographies of the life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus. And then following that, we have the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, which is the act of starting the church. So you got Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you have Acts, which is, okay, this is the story of the church starting. And then from there, you have a bunch of letters written to these churches on how to be the church, okay? So in the book of Acts, the very first couple of chapters, we see the church being born. We have um, this uh, profile, you could say, of what the early church was supposed to look like if the early church had like a Facebook page or something and you had like, you know, a few sentences that described this is what we're all about. 
Acts 2.42 through 47 is that profile. It's a few verses, a few sentences that capture the heart and the essence of what the early church was, and frankly, what we should be still as the church today. And so you open up Acts chapter one and two, and you have Peter, remember the rock who Jesus is gonna build his church on? He gets to building. He preaches the first sermon ever about Jesus, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus, and so the church starts and is, you know, gets to going, and from there, we have this description of people being devoted followers of Jesus as they grow and serve together. Acts 2, 42 through 47, it's on the screen. It says, first of all, they devoted themselves. And you see in our mission, we are devoted followers of Jesus, they devoted them. We just took the word right out of the verse. How smart are we? Devoted, okay. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, so that's to growing and to fellowship. Okay, that's doing life together. To the breaking of bread. Okay, that's talking about eating in each other's homes, doing life together, uh, and to prayer. And so that's growing together and praying for one another. Uh, and it says, as a result of all this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It says all the believers that they were together and they had everything in common. They're growing together and that everything, of course, is Jesus Christ. That's their everything that they had in common, Jesus Christ. As a result of their life together, it says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they're serving one another in this powerful way. Every day they continued to meet uh, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It, it's just every day. I mean, they're not going to church they are the church. They are the church. And it says that they're praising God and that they are enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, verse 47, that is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible um, because it paints the picture of the church in the way that it was conducting its life together. It says it earned favor. It was looked favorably upon by those outside of the church that drew them in such a way to the church that, quote, the Lord added to their number daily, those who found favor with them, those who were being saved. And so it's this beautiful picture. This, it's full circle. It's where, you know, discipleship, the building up of the church and evangelism, showing and telling people about what Jesus is doing in the church. It's where it all comes together for the ultimate purpose of the church and for us on the planet. And that is what it says in verse 47 of Acts chapter two. And that is to praise God. It says that they were praising God, that we worship. We worship, that we do at the end of the day all of this, all this stuff we're talking about, it's about bringing glory to God. All the serving together, the growing together, the discipleship, the evangelism, it's all about pointing to giving credit and glory to God, making his name great here on the planet. And so that's what we celebrate. We celebrate, we praise God for what he's done, what he is doing and will do again. And so that's a picture of the church. Um, and, you know, I think about this as, as we consider this, as we consider, you know, uh, this portrait of the church and what the church is supposed to be versus, honestly, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can even get down on the church at some times. In fact, as I was looking at this topic, it was funny, Wayne assigned all the topics for the Jesus Is series, and it was like hope and forgiveness and grace, and then I saw my topic, and it was like, uh, Jesus is head of the church, and here was the description he put in my thing, church stuff. Yeah, because everybody's banging down the door to get to hear that sermon, right? Um, but in all honesty, it, it's, it's been a 
it's been a neat gift for me to get to be reminded of, oh yeah, this is what the church is about. And so as I've considered this, and again, as we pointed to earlier, those outside of the church and sometimes those of us inside of the church can tend to maybe highlight or focus on the imperfections or the bad things that, and the bad spots that might show up in churches rather than um, the good stuff. And sometimes I think that the reason people do that, like the media or those outside of the churches, I think sometimes if we can find enough wrong with the church, that it somehow you know, validates uh, one's you know, rejection of Jesus and his church. Uh, but can I remind you um, and encourage you uh, in some ways that maybe you didn't even necessarily realize um, that Jesus has been uh, doing some great things in his church because um, sometimes it's hard to see. I mean, Jesus even warned us. He said, blessed are those of you when others speak ill of you because of me. And so we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus warned us about this. In fact, he even said, uh, you are the salt of the earth. And when you think about salt, you know, it's not something that gets a whole lot of credit. I mean, think about it. No one ever gets up from a meal and says, mmm, that is the best salt I've ever had. <laughs> I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. It, it does its work behind the scenes. And so can I remind you here today uh, some ways in which uh, the church of Jesus Christ has flavored, you could say, uh, the earth in some spaces and some places that you may not have realized. Did you know, for example, that the first 106 of the 108 universities established in our country were established by the church? When it comes to hospitals, it was the church who started the whole idea of the hospital versus a doctor being able to just go visit those who had resources. It was a church that established hospitals. In fact, you think about it, when you think about it, as you drive around the country, some of the names of hospitals, just the, the Christian tradition that, you know, wherever it was founded is still marked on many of the names of the hospitals. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm still yet to find the hospital that's, you know, founded by the Atheists Association, right? I mean, think about orphanages, homes for the elderly, inner city missions, crisis pregnancy centers, all of it. It's the church, it's the church that is doing this good, uh, God's will here on earth as it would be in heaven. Zooming in uh, a little more specifically to us as a church together, you know, as I think about those missions organizations, it's, it's you all who I know are serving in the Good Samaritan, Catholic Charities, Oasis Day Center, New Life Pregnancy Center. It's you who, right here on our campus, uh, minister to the students and the families of Parsons Elementary School uh, through our after-school Club 305 program. It's you all, as the church, who, uh, through our Arts Academy, are raising up a whole generation of worship leaders who are going to lead others in our ultimate purpose on the planet to be worshipers of God. Um, it's you all. Uh, I see some in our room right now, some of our chaplains, our chaplaincy ministry, who visited and prayed with more than 25,000 patients between DMH and Crossing in 2018. It's you all who are the church, who are the salt and the light of the world. You know, I zoom in even further, and I think about some specific stories I've come across lately here in the life of this church. There was a, a single mom who had a van repair that was gonna be in the thousands, and it was her Sunday school class uh, that made uh, all the finances surrounding that go away. Uh, a family here in life of the church whose basement flooded with, uh, you know, with some, with some rains and things like that. It was their grow together small group who was first on the scene, who was bailing water, bailing stuff out and helping make that right. And then for all of us, we all get to, if you've been around this 
church at any length of time, at the turn of every year, we always show uh, a baptism video that shows all the baptisms of the years prior. And over the last just several years, we had hundreds of people get baptized. And we show this video that's like five minutes long that, you know, we're all sitting there captivated, but I'm not sure why. I mean, it's really not a whole lot of suspense about what's going to happen next. It's like, down she goes. Oh, yeah, back up again. Repeat, 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 repeat. I mean, but why doesn't it get old? The reason that doesn't get old is because we all recognize that that moment, that moment in time is a representation of the reality, frankly, of discipleship and evangelism and worship all coming together in this beautiful moment where this person's life is being transformed, not only in this moment, but the representation of an entire eternal life transformed, celebrated in what Christ has done. As it says in Romans 6, 4, that just as Christ was you know, died and buried and rose to new life. That is our gateway to being buried under the water, washing away our sin and rising up to a whole new life where he is the Lord and the leader both in this life and for all of eternity. In fact, just this last service, I got the opportunity to baptize a dad who then turned around and baptized his son. It never gets old. It never gets old. And I, I know there's a bunch of people who are already planning to do that this Easter. Uh, we, we do baptisms here on Easter. And so if you want to be a part of that, I'll plant a little seed. You can uh, contact the office and we can start talking to you about what that would look like because it never gets old. And then beyond that, I was even thinking about my own baptism, my own story. Um, in, that, in all candor, when it comes to the church, you would be very hard pressed to ever convince Brian Talty that it's just me and Jesus and I don't need the church. And the reason for that is, frankly, there would be no me and Jesus had it not been for the church. Uh, had it not been for a little church in South Carolina who you know, brought a kid in who uh, at 16 years old, never been in church, uh, had no interest in being in church, uh, but a group of people who, Acts 2.42, uh, they earned the favor with me by the way they loved me. They accepted me, remember my name, invited me back. And it wasn't until months later that I put it all together that, oh, Jesus is the reason for what I'm experiencing now. And you might say, wasn't well, that the cart before the horse? Aren't you supposed to like come to Jesus then come to church? Well, not for me. It was a place that earned favor with those outside of the church that I might be added, Brian Talty, as one to their number that day and for all of eternity. And so... There is no me and Jesus without the church. And so we celebrate this stuff. We praise God for what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do through his church. And as I thought about today, okay, how do we keep that fresh? You know, because again, I was not very honest with you. I wasn't too excited about the sermon topic, let alone you maybe having to hear it if you knew that's what I was gonna talk about. Um, but I had the opportunity this last weekend uh, that I think illustrates pretty well what it is that we have in the church. Um, this past weekend, I got to go up to Bloomington with a group of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders to this event called Superstart. It's a two-day uh, trip um, that we, our elementary kids go on every year. And uh, the morning of the event in the hotel, I was sitting at the, uh, you know, like the hotel lobby breakfast area, and I was sitting across from another dad, and we were just talking, and his phone's sitting on the table, and his phone lights up with a text. And we just kind of both, you know, it catches our eye. And I see that on the screen, uh, the, um, the contact, which the text was from, it just said across it, it said, my bride, my bride. And I kind of looked at that, I kind of looked at him. He's like, yeah, so there's this guy who, much older, much wiser, been married a whole lot longer than me, had told me how he always refers to his wife as his bride. And he said, you know, I, I like that. And it's a, for me, he says, it's a, it's a good reminder of who my wife is and who my wife isn't. And that, you know, it's not like, you know, the old ball and chain or 
my old lady or something like that. He says, she's my bride. And that keeps her fresh before my eyes. And I thought, dude, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Yeah, I'm going to steal that. Uh, but beyond that, I thought, what a beautiful picture of the reminder that we need to have to, you know, with all of our imperfections and the church and the stuff that if you've been around for even a couple minutes life of the church, of any church and left one, and I mean, it's, there's plenty of imperfection to go around. But we are thankful that even as a group of imperfect people, that Jesus didn't come to call perfect people. He called a group of imperfect people to be made perfect by his sacrifice in him and that we are the bride of Christ, that we are to see one another, what he is up to, and his Holy Spirit at work among us as something fresh um, by the power of his Holy Spirit at work within us. And so with that, um, I just wanna implore you that um, if you're part of life of this church, to, to be a part of the life of this church, to, um, to not let yourself fall into the mistake of thinking that this right here is the totality of what it's all about. Um, you know, don't, don't warm the bench, whether it's a bench in the West Auditorium, a bench in Lovington, or a chair in the East Auditorium, and for goodness sake, not with your feet kicked up, live streaming in your boxer shorts. There's no way. That that is the totality of what it means to be the church. We might, you could say we might start here. We might start here, but make no mistake. Acts 2:42 through 47, that is not a picture of a church that ends here just sitting shoulder to shoulder, all facing the same direction. We are doing life together, growing together, and serving together as we together become more devoted followers of Jesus, his church, his bride. And so to that end, let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we are thankful <laughs> that we get to be a part of your church, that we get to... Um, experience some relationships with others that are encouraging our ultimate relationship with God. And even in the imperfections, because it's through forgiveness and mistakes and things like that that we actually experience the gospel, not by getting it all right or doing it all perfectly. We never will. You are the only one that has done that. And so Father, we thank you for your church and your Holy Spirit, who you said would be with us to the very end of the age. And so may now we live it, show it, tell it, so that, as you said, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall never overcome it. As we go, as your salt and your light, but giving you all the glory, may it be in the name of Jesus, amen.